Why do salmon swim upstream despite the threat of the bear? Because laying down the foundation for the next generation is worth the risk. This is the Upstream Podcast hosted by me, Salmon Like the Fish, where guests share their pearls of wisdom that could have only been realized through the journey against the current of life. Your presence here and now is no mistake. Keep your ears and your heart open. There is something for you to gain. What if that's possible? I mean, it sounds good, and the only thing that that I have to say and I have to admit, what adds credence to it is the Island of Misfit Toys. Mm. I know these people. They were lunatics, and I watched the way they live. How can you... It's hard to doubt the power of God when you look and can see him in the eyes of someone sitting across who was also dying that's been completely transformed, Mm. totally transformed. All of a sudden, like, things I used to um, eye-roll at. Like, even today, people... I used to... um, uh, what were they? The born again Christians. We used to call backs, right? The backs. Why backs? BAC. Oh, born oh against right. Christian. Yeah, sure. The backs. <laughs> makes it. Oh, the backs. Oh, the backs are going to come. <laughs> and so, yeah, uh, you're going to be reborn, reborn. Yeah, you can be reborn. Yeah. You can literally be reborn. Not learn to live with the stuff you grew up with. Not, reborn. That mm. means roots grasp a new soil. It means pulled out of the sick soil and replanted in good, in good, healthy soil and have a brand new life experience. What if that's possible? Mm. Is it worth exploring? Hell yes, it's worth exploring. And I wasn't, hell yes as well. I was like, I guess, you know, I guess. <laughs> right. But that you don't, that's all you needed was I guess. So all I was willing to concede was it's possible. And that's all it takes. Mm. In the 12-step recovery program, all you have to do at that point, boiled down, is you have to concede it's possible. Is it possible that maybe, perhaps, maybe, there might be, possibly, a power greater than yourself in the universe. Maybe. Mm. Can you at least concede that? Well, yeah, I guess it's possible. Done. That's enough. Boom. Done. That's the acorn, right? Yeah. Just as long as you are not closed-minded and you concede it's possible. Look at this world, dude. Look at the human body, the brain. Look at how perfect a system. Look at the world we live in, the dichotomy of it, up, down, left, right, the perfect form. Science. It's so funny. They used to say, oh, science killed God. Dude, science is God. God God is in science. Look around us at this unbelievable formed universe. A mistake? A cosmic accident? With that kind of perfection? Come on, man. That's odd. That's peculiar. And, 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 you know, now you start talking, and we can go into philosophy and and, and concepts of God, which is what third step is. Concept. What's your concept of God? Mind's changed, grown. It's... And yet simplified, too, in some ways, which yeah. is weird. But people have their own experience on those lines. I'm not telling you what God is. That's the best part about the 12-step recovery program. You know what the what God you have to believe in? Mm. None. Your own. Mm. Whatever you want to look at it as. I chose spirit of nature at first. I wouldn't take God, Jesus, church, religion. I was done with all of it. I chose spirit of nature because it was a powerful force on earth that was more powerful than me, and it's what I could get with. I even got a tattoo in my early recovery of a dream catcher. Mm. I loved the Native American culture, and I loved uh, the spirit of nature, and there was this really cool uh, poem I was given on a coin with a picture of a dream catcher, man, and it represented, and that's what this was for me, 12-step recovery program. If you know what a dream catcher is, you know, all you, the hang bad it, dreams, you hang it in your window, right? And it's yeah. got all the feathers and the netting, right? And when you have your bad dreams at night, it gets caught up in the netting. And then at sunrise, when the sun hits the netting, it burns all your bad dreams. Oh, so I, didn't, I never heard that yeah, second part of it. it's pretty cool. Oh, that is really and cool. so that was basically my life, right? Like, uh, my life was the dream catcher. Mm. And all my bad dreams, when I started doing this, got burned away. Mm. But it didn't happen by osmosis or by accident. It was because... I had my first step truth that I know I couldn't live that way anymore and I was going to die and I was unhappy and I needed to be taken beyond where I was. I conceded it was possible there could be a God 
and that I chose some basic concept that I was comfortable with, at least so I can have some vision of something as I was going through the steps. And then you get up to the real heavy lifting of 12-step work, which is the fourth step. Mm. Now you're at a fourth step, and now you get down to causes and conditions. Now they believe, the people who founded the 12-step recovery program believe that resentment is the number one offender. Mm. It kills more alcoholics than anything else. I believe in life, resentment, anger, that rage, that resentment towards others is so offensive and it causes so much internal chaos and strife. It blocks us off from the sunlight of the spirit. Mm. That's what was suggested to me when you were born and you were a kid and you were growing up before life got to you and we society ruined you. You were a perfect diamond. Mm. You, kids don't know resentment. They just know love. They see other people and they just hug other kids. Right. They don't care where you're from, what you do. Kids just want to play and have fun and love each other and hug each other. Kids are just born perfect perfect image of God of love and laughter and happiness and then life comes on and then we we meaning society itself some bad things and bad people and bad actors and different things and fear seeps in and shame and guilt as they start getting old enough to know what those things are bad things happen to some kids and this and that and all of a sudden you start becoming that perfect diamond becomes dark mm. and in some cases it becomes charcoal mm. where the diamond is still in there by the way it's still in there it's buried deep and it's dirty mm. but eventually you get to a point like I was my diamond got so sick and so just covered with with all that fear shame guilt resentment rage people who found that they believed resentment is the number one one offender and it destroys more alcoholics than anything else mm. and so they believe that you needed to make a list of all the people that you've ever been resentful at and you got to put them down on a list. Do you think most of that starts with the family, like uh, parents? Do you think that's where it starts typically I mean, first for most people, or do you think? Well, when you say, does it resentment start there? Yeah. I mean, I guess if you really wanted to go back and look at it, sure, because that's who you're with every day. Mm. I mean, it's the hardest people uh, when when you get into later steps and you're supposed to be living different and you're supposed to be practicing patience, tolerance, kindness, and love. It's easy for me to practice that on the outside. Yes. And 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 this is just the human condition, right? This yeah. isn't make me bad or make me d anybody different or any, you know, people are all people, right? And the human condition is not something you can ignore. As I started getting spiritually well and I started growing spiritually, one day I was uh, at work and I came out, this is years of sobriety, three years in sobriety, maybe f three years about. And I came out of um, this, this event we were having at Merrill Lynch and I go walk out and I'm with a customer and we walk and I'm gonna give the customer a ride to a train station or whatever, we're in Manhattan and there was snow on the ground, it was starting to snow. And I go up to where my car was and it's gone. Wow. Cars everywhere or in front of me, behind me. So it couldn't have been a tow truck because everyone was parked on the same thing. And you can see that it must have just been taken because the snow hadn't even filled in the spot yet. And mm. I'm like, oh, my God, my car's gone. Brand new car. I just bought it. I said, oh, my gosh, my car's gone. And so the customer was like, what? And I'm like, yeah, it was parked right here. They're like, are you sure? And I'm like, yeah, you better call the police. I said, yeah, yeah, yeah I'll give them a call. And they were like, well, you seem very calm about it. And I'm like. Well, what am I going to do? My car's gone. I, you know, I, I matched calamity with serenity and it happened. I was in a very good spiritual condition and I just was like, okay, it's a piece of metal. It's insured. Like, what good is it going to do for me? Now, normal reaction made, what the, oh yeah. my God, <laughs> right. this is insane. Right. It would have destroyed your life. Oh my God, that would have been two hours of absolute and I would have dragged them into my drama. Mm. But instead, I just, because of this work that I had done up to this point, 
I was just like, all right, well, what are you going to do, right? My mm. car's gone. So let's call the police. Let's find out what happened and blah, blah, blah. And so I went through the process and it's all going to be what it's going to be anyway. I could either scream and yell and rant or I can do it calmly. Either way, I'm going to find out what happened and it's going to resolve itself at some point, maybe favorably, maybe not favorably, but whatever it's going to be, it's going to be, right? Mm. I go home, and maybe not that night, but just for the sake of the of the telling, I could go home that very same night and my fiance, I walk in the door and I trip on one of her sneakers because she never puts it away the right way. And I'm like, Jesus Christ, your sneakers in the hallway. My car got stolen and with a complete stranger, I'm like, yeah, what yeah, are you going right, to do? Right. But a sneaker's the wrong way and God forbid. So does it happen with the family? I, I think family and people closest yeah. to us are the hardest ones to practice spiritual uh, uh, practices it's yeah. it's hardest with family so yeah. did it start at family did it start in the school the grant you know the playground don't think for a second being emasculated when you were a kid doesn't have huge effect on men and other things that happen to women and you know a woman's experience in life's different than a man's but you know the you get bullied or you get into a fight and you back down instead of hitting the kid and then your whole life you're thinking that I wussed out and then it happens three more times and now you're so used to not sticking up for yourself that you don't and now you hate yourself for it mm. and so as you get bigger you start lashing out at people now you're a fighter because you didn't fight and it's just this human and all that all those experiences just get filed away and it becomes built into your personality built into and, and it's not like any of us are thinking all right this happened so now I'm gonna act like this. no it's it's a it's a conglomeration of all sickness mm. it's fear it's shame it's guilt it's anger it's you know that pride that negative pride right that gets damaged it's all the things in and, and if you look up um character defects right all that stuff gets born out of that 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 fear and that shame and that guilt and that and all these little experiences start adding up and covering the diamond. Mm. It covers the diamond, it covers the diamond, it covers the diamond. And then before you know it, you have all these filters in place. And mm. when you see somebody walking down the street and you make eye contact with them, it's like, what are you looking at? You right. know what I mean? Right. It's not like, hey, how's it going, pilgrim? You know, right. how's it going, stranger? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, you know, we, we, we make fun of the, uh, well, we don't make fun of the Amish, but sometimes people, you know, but they're the nicest, most kind of chill people, and they're just like, "How's it going, neighbor?" And because they live life that way, they're mm. God's kids, and they're mm. not looking to hurt anybody, right. and they just want to be kind of live life and do what they do and raise family. And man, it's interesting those, those filters that you mentioned—it's it, really, you know, one of the great things about alcohol, and I'm, I'm saying that, you know, facetiously, is that it takes away the filter, and that's why people need the social lubricant. They can go to a bar, right have a drink, and they can be who they want to be. Right. They feel like they're their best self. Right. You right. know, uh, and actually, I mean, if we're just even talking about people without an addiction problem, maybe that's why they have to have the fancy car. Maybe that makes them feel more confident in themselves. Sure, that's sure. why they have to have the, the $10,000 watch, because for some reason that gives them clout, and it makes them comfortable yeah. in their own skin. Sure. So it's very interesting. And you could, you could expound upon that limitlessly, yeah. right? We could talk about the different ways that people... But now I'm doing a fourth step, and so they believe resentment's the number one offender. So now I make a list of all the people I'm resentful at. And to answer your question, I remember my list. Dad, number one, mm. dad. Number two, mom. Number three, Sean, my brother. Number four, number five, and aunt this, uncle that. It all usually starts, and usually the directions you give people is start with your immediate family. Mm. After the immediate family, then go to girls you've dated. Okay, oh, I remember That's her. And, oh, she's an idiot. And I hated her. Yeah. And she was evil. All right, now go to neighborhoods you grew up in. Oh, I remember that 
asshole who lived at the bottom of the street and then that family and I hated him yeah. and all oh, that dick that I got into the fight with and oh the the Ronald the idiot with the purple car that ran over our football or, or basketball and popped it I hated that idiot yeah and so now I start making all these lists of all these different people right and it goes on and on right and so now all of a sudden you can get up to a hundred people like that Easy right hundreds of people you could get depending on how d deep you delve when you first go depending on the directions you get but my sponsor told me like look uh, there's no right or wrong number if you come back to me with 10 i'm gonna tell you you're 26 years old that's bullshit right, <laughs> right. you you met at 10 people on the way to my house yeah right. please <laughs> yeah but you know we're not looking at like i got mad that time the guy cut me off on the street you could if you're somebody who has road rage you could just put other drivers right. and that would cover the 500 Everybody. things that you've had right yeah. and i did that i had drivers down on there and i had politics certain political stuff and dude i was rageful and angry at everything mm. but there are some things that can kind of represent Resent a bunch of different resentments, but then there's specific resentments in individual people. So I make my list of a hundred or whatever it was. My sponsor said, like, when you're done, you're done. You're gonna ask, pray and ask God, show me the truth. And whether you believe in prayer or not at this point, at that point I still didn't really believe, even believe in prayer, but he would have me pray before and he's like, I just believe I believe and just pray before God, please help me to see what I need to see. Mm. And you'll write the list and you'll know when it's done. And he's like, and keep in mind, Fort Stop's not meant to be just done once. You'll see what you're able to process right now. You'll see what you're able to kind of deal with. Mm. And then maybe later you'll have to do more, right? Okay. So I went through my list and I had my, my hundred or so people. And then after I was done with the list, he said, okay, now I want you to go and I want you to write why you were mad at those people. So each one has different reasons why. You know, and some of them are going to have many resentments, lots of just reasons. for one person. Yeah, like my dad was A B C D E F G H I J K L M N O P Q R S. Maybe I got down to T or something with my dad. Some people they go double A, double B, double C, double D because it can get deep and wide, man. Because you start thinking back in your life and all the reasons why you're angry and whatever. Now you're putting a name to it, right? Mm. Now I'm mad at him, and this is why, and I got a list of why. And then I go to mom, and she's a little less, but still there, and then so on and so on. And by the time you get to the end of your list, usually it's like A and B, or just A, like one specific reason why you're mad at a particular person. Is that emotionally exhausting when you're going through oh, that? Because yes. I, I feel it right now as we're talking about it. I'm like, man, if I can, I would probably get to double C on some people. You know? I'll tell you right now. So let's say that there's somebody who listens to this podcast and says, you know, I like this idea. I'm going to do this. He said people could do it just by reading the book. I'm going to do it on my own. Yeah. I'll tell you what my sponsor told me when I first did it. He said, Richie, I'll tell you right now before we start, this is going to change your life. But you're better off never having started a fourth step than starting one and stopping in the middle and not completing it. It's, why is it's that? dangerous. Why? Because once you dredge up all this old stuff, if you don't do something with it, it's it can be problematic to say the least. For an mm. alcoholic addict, it, it inevitably ends in relapse. Mm. We lose people in the fourth step. And that's why my sponsor and my sponsorship family, I would never sponsor anybody and take them through a fourth step unless they're calling me every day. They're praying even if they don't believe in prayer. They have to at least say some basic prayers that make them comfortable in the morning. They have to have a home group. They have to have a commitment in that home group. You have to say anchored what to is your a fellowship. Home, what is a home group? A home group in AA is so there's lots of AA meetings. If you look in a book or if you go to, like for we're in Jersey, if you did www.njaa.org, um, New Jersey Alcoholics, NNJ, NNJAA.org, Northern New Jersey Alcoholics um, uh, Anonymous.org, mm -hmm. you could put in your zip code and you'll find 
dozens of meetings, hundreds of meetings in New Jersey at any given day, hundreds in mm. any given day. The, the, the fellowship is very, very widespread in the United States. You'd have to choose one of those groups to be your group. That that one you make every week, no matter what, uh, you take okay, a commitment okay. there. You help make coffee. You greet at the door. You are a chairperson. You set up chairs. You break down the meeting afterwards. You do something in the group to be a part of. You go to the business meetings. You, you know, there's a treasurer. You collect money. You buy coffee. You buy cookies, and you become part of a group that runs that one little autonomous meeting amongst tens of thousands of other meetings in the country and in the globe. And so you have to pick, and that meeting is where you share your anniversary. That's where you celebrate. Uh, so when okay, you get okay. your one-year coin, home group is where you go get that coin and where people come to see you celebrate. That's your home group. Home uh, group's a very important part yeah. of being a member of Alcoholics Anonymous. Hugely More important. More accountability that way, right? Oh, I mean, absolutely. And that's the whole point, right? Especially when you're writing a fourth step. It's good to show up at home group. Every, everyone knows in home group, they should all know where you're at. Right. And people will know you're on your fourth step. They're like, so how's your fourth step going? Fine. They're like, all right, well, I guess you're really <laughs> right. It's about right. Yeah, every, my home group, Common Solution Group on Staten Island, every time I'd come, they'd be like, so how's your fourth step? You miserable? <laughs> yeah. And they would all bust your chops because they know the experience you have. And it's yeah. not fun, dude. Yeah. You're looking at stuff you never wanted to look at remember we shoved it deep we right. uh, Bill Burr, Bill right Burr. the joke yeah, yeah we shoved it deep now i'm unearthing all that stuff yeah. all the, and i'm thinking about the reasons why i'm so mad at my dad mm. that's brutal right mm. so now i'm looking at all these different resentments and now they go further right now i've got my list now i'm mad at these people and this is why now they say all right now i want you to tell me how these uh resentments affected you what areas in your life did they? There's areas of people's life. And you can, I love the AA program and the way they did it because it's, to me, it represents pretty much all the real areas of my life. Self-esteem, how I see or feel about myself. Pride, how I think others see or feel about me. Ambition, what I want. Security, what I need to be okay. Personal relations, how friends and family should be and how they should act. Um, sex relations, how men and women are supposed to be. This is, again, it's not about sex. It's about ideals, how men and women are supposed to be. Relationships. No, not right. necessarily. Yes, relationships, but not intimate. Like right. intimate in a different way. My mom and dad. Yeah. I know how a mother's supposed to act. I know how uh, a father's supposed to act. Saying. I know how a sister's supposed to act. I, I know how an aunt is supposed to act, what a teacher is supposed to represent. Those are all part of my sex relations, my, uh. and, and, and a different kind of sex ideal. There's intimate sex ideals, and then there's just life ideals, family ideals, like a family ideal. Mm. What is the ideal family? What are you supposed to bring to family and what are you looking for out of your family? Mm. And how, what, what does that look like? Again, you get you get into it later on. It, it can go deep, especially as you go through the steps more than once. I really like how you describe pride. I've never heard pride discussed that way or, 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 or defined that way. How, how you think other people see you? See or feel see, about me. See, yeah, that, That's interesting. And then the last one is pocketbook. Mm. Because, you know, I get mad when people affect my finances, yeah. when other people, decisions they made or actions they took negatively affect me financially. That pisses me off, same, too. Right. Same. Yeah, yeah, sure. That's most people in the world. <laughs> so those seven areas cover most of life. Mm. And so now I'm looking at my dad and I'm mad at him for this. And now, did it affect my pride, this particular resentment? Yeah. I mean, no one should think that I'm a terrible son and that uh, uh, I should be treated terribly like that in front of other people. It's horrible. Mm. You know, how did it affect my self-esteem, how I see or feel about myself? Yeah. I mean, I felt like I, I am a useless piece of shit. And mm. that became apparent and was made obvious to me every time I had an interaction with my dad and blah, mm. blah, blah. Um, and so on and so on. And with security, what do I need to be okay? I need a dad who's going to show me love instead of rage to be okay. Mm. Um, ambition, what I want. 
I want a healthy family. I want I want somebody who's going to be supportive of me and not critical of me. You know, um, uh, personal relations. Uh, you know, a real father would show nothing but support and love for for his children and not show them you know uh, disdain and rage, um, and so on and so on. And right? for the first time in your life, you're writing this down and formulating this, looking at it. You might have th- those things might have you know, swirled in your mind here and there, Maybe. but like to actually, but to actually put it into like causes and conditions. Like now you're talking to like, I'm mad and I'm walking around with all, dude, that's a bad, once you put it on paper and you get notebooks filled with this stuff, that those notebooks, five subject notebooks, sometimes two, three, five subject notebooks of shame, guilt, anger, remorse, fear, just all that stuff. And that's what I'm walking around with everyday life. Those mm. are my filters. That's, when I interact with other human beings, it's based on fear and selfishness and 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 rage and guilt and uh, all those things. That's how I live life through this like set of glasses that have all these negative life experiences. So when I interact with other human beings, it's all coming from my perspective, from my that conglomeration of life experience, and that's what I'm bringing to the table. And so some people were really messed up in life early on Mm. and they're filled with anger and rage and they hate themselves and poor, you know, and now all of a sudden I'm meeting with this guy in the line of an A&P, you know, I'm in Pathmark and I'm standing behind him and he's like, watch where your card is. (laughs) And I'm like, who the fuck are you talking to, asshole? Right, right. Ready to go. It's got nothing to do with me. That guy's problems have nothing. I'm a blank face to him. He doesn't even know who I am. But of course, because of my childhood, don't, don't you know who I am? You don't get to talk to me right. that way. My father used to talk to me. You ain't going to talk to me that way. Because you have that lens. Yeah, that's how I'm looking at it. Yeah. And so now we butt heads, and I'm yeah. butting heads with everybody on the planet because yeah. of my life experience, right? Mm-hmm. So now I'm looking at all this stuff, and you're like, oh, it can be a little overwhelming. And now you get to the fourth column of the fourth step, which is where you get free. The truth is we look at the first three columns, and really it's all just a pack of lies anyway, right? It's mm. all just the bullshit we tell ourselves. Mm. But if I want to get free, I've got to take a look at it from a different angle. Is it possible that everyone on my list is spiritually sick just like me? Mm. They're all very sick people with all their own filters and all their own bad life experience. And that's what's coming to bear. If I can take their crap, which I have no responsibility for and I can't control in any way, shape or form. Once I realize that, that's a big truth. Mm. Once you realize that other people I can't control, I can't get them to change, act, do or be any way other than what they are. And I never will. Mm. So I take their stuff and I put it to the side. Doesn't matter what they did. Doesn't matter their part in the resentment. That's not going to help me in any way, shape or form because I can't help them or control them. I have to just look at me and my part because that's something I can actually get with. Mm. If I have to wait for everybody else in the world to change for me to be happy, I'm doomed Mm. because people are not going to change. Your boss that you don't like, he ain't going to change. Maybe he will, maybe he won't, but if you got to wait, it's probably going to be a long wait. (laughs) Same thing with everyone in your life, but the one thing you can change is you and Mm. your reaction to those people, Mm. your understanding of those people, the way you show up to life. So those people, when they used to say something that would make you cringe or angry or sad, all of a sudden, if this thing works the way it's supposed to, you get to the other side, that same person that used to infuriate you, you listen to them and you're like, ah, I feel bad for this poor guy. Mm. Man, he must have grown up tough. Okay, Joe. Yeah, thank I'm really sorry you feel that way. And you walk away. You're not pretending not to be mad. You're just not mad anymore. Mm. That's a miracle of healing. Now, mm. how can you get there? 
by disregarding their stuff and just looking within. Where was I uh, selfish? What did I do before, during, or after the resentment to keep it alive? Where was I afraid? You know, what fears are there involved in here? And there's this whole process in the fourth column where you take ownership yourself and mm. look in, within your own stuff. What part did I play in this resentment? Putting theirs aside, what part did I play in this so resentment? So essentially it's a post-mortem, but with the filter, where am I responsible? That's what it. could I have done differently? Yeah. Taking, taking responsibility just for your part. Mm. Not pretending they didn't do something messed up. There's plenty of assholes out there that did bad things to me. No question. Mm. I'm not pretending that that stuff wasn't real or they didn't do it. It, it happened. And mm. some of those people were just bad people. Mm. But I got to get free. I mm. can't allow. They already have my power. Dude, I give them all my power. They keep it in their front pocket. Mm. How I see and feel about myself. I give that power to all these people and I don't even like them. <laughs> and yet they have control over how I feel every day. That guy in the path, Mark, now he gave me a bad three hours where I'm still talking about him to other people on the phone. This idiot and blah, blah, blah. Now I'm angry all day. Dude, I don't even know the guy. And he doesn't even know that you're stewing it. No, he doesn't know. Or he might be still stewing it on himself. We don't even know each other and we took each other's power. Mm. And I don't, my sponsor said, dude, that power belongs two places. With you and with God. Mm. No one else should have your power. Not anymore. Mm. Because once you see the truth and you can recognize it. This isn't like a, you know, this is real. Like you're now looking within and you're really writing it all down and you're like, oh my God, I see what I did after. I see my fear. I see the harms that I caused. And now you make a list of all this stuff. Mm. Once you're done with that list and you do your fourth column and now you start looking at things like these people are spiritually sick and I have no control over that, but I can control how I react to it. And you're like, oh my God, now it's mind blowing. And you're like, wow. And you start seeing truth and you're like, oh my God. Like you start really seeing some of this stuff and you start having a fourth step experience now. And you're like, oh my God. You start getting free right there. You start, mm. freedom starts coming. When you finally get up to share your fifth step, you hear yourself saying it and you're like, oh, after a while, I remember my sponsor. I'm like, do I have to keep reading the first three columns? It's all bullshit. <laughs> and my sponsor's like, fine, just read the fourth column. Get to where your part is. Because I know the rest of it's all bullshit. Right, anyway, that's right. just my crazy filtered anger that I walked around with. The truth is the fourth column. Uh, so once you start doing the fifth step, you start seeing the truth. And you and your sponsor are like, dude, how crazy is that? You're like, this is crazy. <laughs> dude. So, it's an awakening in itself right oh, there. Oh, forget it. In its but, own way. but that's not all the fourth step is, right? So it's the first four columns. And then you do a fear inventory where you take a look at all your fears right we got a lot of fears in life man mm. what fears we all walk around every day most human beings walk around with fear of looking bad of what other people think of us not being good enough mm. losing what i have not getting what i want uying dying being left alone, being unwanted, being disliked, get being out of abandoned. My head, man. Get out of my head right yeah, now. Yeah, I hear you. As with everybody, <laughs> yeah, right? Really think experience. of those individual fears. That's the human condition, right? Yeah. All my fears. And those fears dictate how we treat others, how we see things, how we react to people, yeah. how we react to life. Even if you're aware of them, once you, you could write them all down all you want and put them on your mirror before you leave the house and say, don't let these fears affect you. Good luck with yeah. that. <laughs> it's got to be deeper than that. Yeah. Just knowledge is not in and of itself going to do it. It's got to be part of an overall experience, right? It's got to mm. be experiential. So I took a look at all my fears and I categorized them and I saw how many I had attached to each resentment. Some fears like fear of dying only showed up in my fourth step like six times. 
but fear of what other people think of me showed up 612. Wow, that's a big fear for Richie Hashim. Mm-hmm. Like, I was walking around in life afraid of what other people think and of looking bad and of not being good enough and, and of losing what I have and not getting the things I want. Like, that was those were big fears of mine. Mm-hmm. And as a result of those fears, I would act out either with anger or with selfishness or with... And as I did that, other people saw me doing that because that's the pl- life's play. They see you trying to act that way and they, by default, act that way back to get what they can. Everyone's trying to get what they can out of the play of life. Mm. I'm going to step off the stage. I'm not going to be in that play, right? Mm. I'm still going to be a supporting cast, Mm. but I'm not going to be involved like that. I'm not going to let this stuff let, if only I had the power to not let it. But maybe I can. Maybe I can get put to a position where God, see, feel, direct, and use can take me beyond where I am in these areas. Mm. Is it possible? I hope so, because I see how much trouble I'm really in. I see the sickness now for what it really is deep down. I need to be taken beyond where I am. Mm. Is it possible? I hope so. Mm. Now, I went from, I doubt it, to I sure as hell hope this is possible because I'd love to get taken beyond this. And especially the fear when you really see how pervasive fear is and how it affects every area of your life. It's terrible. Mm. And now you got to do the sex inventory. And when you do the sex inventory, like I said, make a list of all past relationships is where it all starts, right? Mm. Um, uh, these are big relationships, not one-night stands, although some people who've had 500 one-night stands Would that just be do one-night one stands yeah, as right. a category, and then you put that down. But, you know, maybe how many girlfriends do most people have in their life? Like, you know, some of the Don Juans will say, mm-hmm. oh, I mean, I have, I've had sponsees who've had like 15 major relationships. I'm like, wow. That's I, exhausting. I think I had three, yeah, you know, when I was 25. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, and then maybe a couple other minor ones that my sponsor was like, yeah, write them anyway. And I yeah. did. And then you write a relationship history. What it was, you know, where you met, uh, how it developed, how the relationship was, best parts of the relationship, worst parts of the relationship, wow. the highs, the lows. And then ask yourself a bunch of questions. In this relationship, where was I dishonest? Where was I selfish? Where was I afraid? Where did I co- arouse jealousy, suspicion, and bitterness? Um, where did I cause specific harms? What were those harms? What should I have done instead of acting this way? What should I have done instead? Mm. That later, that what should I have done instead becomes your ideal. It's usually the opposite of all the bad shit you did mm. becomes your ideal of how you should be in future relationships. And so you write up all those, and it's usually each relationship is usually a couple or a few pages on a memo pad. Some of them, the big relationships, can be quite a bit longer. And then after you get that all down and you finish with your sex ideal, your sponsor will give you some last-minute considerations. Mm. Um, You're about to share a fifth step. You're about to go now to another human being and read all your sickness out loud. Right, the stuff that we shoved deep, Bill Burr joking about. Yeah, I'm about to sit with another human being, Joey T. Bird from my neighborhood. Oh, so you're with I, not the person that you that that has hurt you, but just another person. No, to with just an share AA, with your sponsor, with, your sponsor. with the guy guiding you through the steps. You're now about to just unburden yourself and tell him uh, everything. And this is the key to the whole fourth step. My sponsor's like, okay, so you've got a bunch of stuff that we're going to now read together. All those notebooks, we're going to read all your sickness, and we're going to get it all out loud. He's like, but I want you to go home and ask yourself. There's one more part of the fourth step that's hugely important, probably more important than everything else you wrote. What deep, dark secrets do I have that I promised I would take to the grave, Mm. that I would never tell another human being? Uh You would just write the Holiday Inn thing. You know, you know what that means. Right. You're not as long gonna, as you understand yeah, it. Yeah, because okay. you ain't going to write that on people that are like, I ain't writing Deep Dark Secrets right, on a right, page. Right. Then don't. Just write the Holiday Inn thing, and then you'll remember to tell your sponsor what's behind that. Right. 
And most people have a lot of sexual stuff in our lives. Mm. Uh, a homosexual experience, a, what's the term I'm using? Not rape, but, um, you know, just uh, uh, an uncomfortable, sometimes it goes that deep. Sometimes it goes to rape. Sometimes they've been raped. Sometimes they raped other people. Yeah. You know, there's all sorts of crazy stuff, uh, molestation, mm. uh, all sorts of things that go... A lot of sex stuff, uh -huh. lots of sex stuff. And I mean, that's usually a big portion of the, some, uh, I had one guy that I, I, I had gone through the work with who um, believed that he killed someone in a uh, hit and run drunk driving, when they wow. were drunk driving. And I know the guy definitely died and blah, blah, blah. Inevitably, I found out when it was, where it was. I said, look, we need to know. And we looked it up and, and he didn't. Uh -huh. Thank God he didn't. It, uh -huh. It's not what happened. Thank God. That must have been a big relief um, for him. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Um, but and and um, a lot of these people actually go to these people and they find them and seek them out and say, "Hey, man, that was me." And wow. they say, oh, "Dude, I could tell you stories, nine-step stories, when it comes to a nine-step amends that would curl your toes." Uh -huh. I know people who went to jail for years and were totally fine with it wow. because they were free. They went to jail completely free and got out three years later completely free, having paid for what happened and what they did because they went and got honest. That rarely happens. They went to jail after the fact that they came clean and were okay with going to jail. Totally fine with it. Time. That's totally amazing. fine with it. We're free. Slept that, better than they'd ever slept in their lives because they were free from... That's a spiritual change. Oh, no doubt. And that's an extreme example. Rarely it's does that chills, happen. actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It gave me chills. Yeah, but I mean, that can be a reality, but the truth is it's very rare. Yeah. I mean, I've gone to people like whose businesses I stole from one guy in Staten Island, one of the businesses, this guy was nuts. And when I went there, I was scared to talk to him because mm. who knows what this guy was going to do. You know what I mean? I went to him and told him I stole from him and his store and whatever. And he was like, I always knew. He said, I always <laughs> knew you were stealing. He said, you know what? I tried to catch you. If I would have caught you, I would have beat the fuck out of you. And I was like, oh my, like I got scared. You yeah, know yeah. what I mean? I was like, like he was in, he was a rageful guy. Yeah. And he's like, but I'm happy for you, dude. I'm glad. I'm glad wow. that you're doing well. And he's like, I'm. And so I said, well, you know, I, I kind of expected it would be about, now there's a lot of money for me at the time. Now, when you go out, and we were skipping ahead to amends, but when you yeah. go make amends, um, a lot of times you go to people and you'll have an envelope. You, you don't just go saying, I'm sorry. That's not yeah. what amends are. I'm, I've said, I'm sorry. That's not, amends is setting things right. Now uh -huh. I got to right these wrongs, my part and all these things. I got to set them right. I got to go see these people. I got to go make amends. I got to apologize. I got to get right with all God's kids on the planet. Mm. I want to be able to walk into any room in any neighborhood in the world and not look in my feet. If I walk into a room to this day and I see somebody and I'm uncomfortable, I got to go talk to that person because mm. something's not right. Something uh, There's some underlying resentment or some underlying fear, and it means that I owe some kind of an amends. There's some uncomfortable thing, and I don't want that anywhere on the planet. I want to be right with all God's kids. I don't mm. like them all, right? but I have to take a patient, kind, talent, loving view of all of them. And so I need to, at least for my part, especially growing up, there's not a neighborhood I could walk into in Staten Island where if I saw somebody and was like, oh my God, that never came up. I owe that person amends. I'd run right over to him to this day. Mm. And I'd say, I got to talk to you. And I, I would go make the amends right on the spot. Mm. So back up for a second. We go and we share this fifth step. And dude, the fifth steps can be long. Fifth mm. steps can be really, really long. I've heard one of my fifth steps was 19 and a half hours. I mean, it was brutal. This guy just wrote forever and talked what forever. What do you mean just sat in one space and talked for 19 hours 19 straight. and a half hours reading notebooks. It's wow. meant to be. Like a filibuster. <laughs> that's it. It's meant to be, and they say it in the book, we're prepared for a long talk. Mm. Now, I won't get into it on this uh, podcast, but... 
there's you know conversation. Some sponsors do it and they break it up and they do four hour sessions over yeah, the course of was, a month. Yeah. I don't believe in that. The yeah. book says we're prepared for a long talk, and so I, for me, it's an upheaval. When you're having that experience, it should not be done piecemeal. It's meant mm. to be gotten out. Yeah, you have all this sickness and you're gonna cast it out. Yeah, and by the time you're done reading that fifth step. Some people have white light experiences, uh -huh. dude. Some people will go home and just start crying and wake up and know God in a way they never thought possible. Huh. Other people like me woke up the next day and I was like, that's it? <laughs> you know? I've had sponsees call me and go, that's it? That's the big fifth step experience? And I just laugh. I'm like, dude, I didn't tell you you were going to have some white light. Yeah, but I hear all in the meetings. I said, no, no, no. You remember what I told you. You can't have their experience. You yeah, got to have your yours. Experience. And I don't know when it's going to It's going to happen for you. I just don't know what step. It could be nine. It could be 10. It could be 11. It could be 12. But at some point, you're going to call me and go, dude, this is real. Right. But it's not in five. But I will say that that night, I slept better than I ever have in my life. Mm. I mean, sleep of just like a free sleep yeah. you know what went away a lot when i shared my fifth step the chatter of a thousand monkeys wow got quiet huh. i could actually meditate a little bit after i did my fifth step because it just got quiet i was free i felt lighter somehow mm. not cured not healed just different mm. i had a little bit of a shift all of a sudden the idea of god now my sponsor but you think god's real mm. maybe <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. now all of a sudden i'm like it's a real maybe i'm like right. It might be, yeah, this you know. Is this is totally different. And me. coming yeah. from me, the way I started out, and all of a sudden I'm like, oh, it might be, Joe. Yeah. I got to yeah, yeah. tell you, I feel weird, so I don't know what's going on. Yeah. And then we get on to the, you got to move on with the rest of the steps, and now we start looking at character defects and all the this filters, these fear filters, all this negative crap and this insanity. It shows up in life in character defects by me being you know, selfish and me being dishonest and me being terse and me being, there's 72, a list of 72 character defects. Wow. And you can do a list. It's not part of the 12 step work. It's people afterwards said, oh, you know what's cool for the seventh step? Let's make this list. Let's do this list. And then you look up the definitions for all these 72 character defects. And as you're doing the definitions, you're like, oh my God, that's me. That's me. Well, I don't really do that one. That's not really me. Oh, that one's me. And you start looking at the ones that really are you. And then you look up the antonym in the dictionary. What's the opposite of that character defect? That becomes your ideal. Wow. That's how I am in sickness with other people. This is the ideal of how I'm supposed to show up instead. That's how I have, that's what I'm aiming for, right? And what's the ultimate ideal of how a person should treat another person? What's the ultimate ideal? Jesus. Jesus. Right, right Jesus. Right? Whether you believe in the yeah. Bible, God, in that way, it doesn't it's matter. Jesus character. himself. Yeah. It's a historical, like, he was amazing. Yeah. Talk about an ideal. Yeah. If I can live to even... An eighth of that ideal, yeah. I'd be a rock star on the planet, right? I you mean, you know what's interesting? I, so my father is Muslim, my mom is Catholic, and so she snuck me to a Catholic church to get baptized, right? Not to get too heavy to religion, but I mean, if we just take the ideal of in the in Islamic uh, culture, the whole idea was uh, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. So Jesus actually references that, right? He says, um, "You've heard it said before, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth." But I say, if uh, if uh, your your neighbor hurts you, you know, or, or steals from you, give them also your cloak. You know, if he, get, if he slaps you in the cheek, give him the other cheek. That was unheard of. Right. Completely unheard of. I mean, that's so bizarre. Sure. You know, so that, that ideal is, is just uh, massively different from just like the human mindset. It's always about retaliation, fear, sure. anxiety, worry, you know. Um, so, yeah, no, I 100% get you on the ideal part of it. Yeah. yeah. And so now you start actually think about it. Even just thinking of living to an ideal is so foreign for me. Remember, yeah. Bill Burr, right? 
Remember, I was shoving it deep. Now all of a sudden I'm considering ideals and how I should be showing up differently than I did before because all my filters started going away. Yeah. Now that I've let it free and I've gotten in touch and I've seen it all and I've shared it with another human being, you know what happens? It loses its power. Mm. It sees the light of day and it loses its power. Mm. And all the fear, shame, and guilt that used to drag me down is not completely gone, but a lot of it's gone. Yeah. It's still there, but I'm free. Yeah. All of a sudden, I'm free of it. I see it. I know I can get the, I know God or whatever this thing is can take me beyond where I am, but there's more work to do. It's mm. not just going to go away on its own now. You're not done after you do five. Yeah. Now I see the defects and I put words to it and names to it. Seven step is a prayer. Seven step is my creator. I'm now willing that you should have all of me, the good and the bad. Wow. All of me, not just the bad, but the good and the bad. Uh -huh. I pray that you now remove from me every single defect of character, because I've seen a lot of them, that stand in the way of my usefulness to you and to my fellows, to wow. you and to all your kids in the world, right? Grant me strength as I go out from here to do your bidding, amen. Wow. And that's the point of it, right? So you start looking at that in, in, in consideration of your fourth and fifth step and now, oh man, all of a sudden I'm starting to, I'm going to God with something because I, the good, the bad, I give you everything, dude, because I can't, I'm a bad manager. Uh, <laughs> I manage right. myself into a hole and I'm going to try, spirit of nature, take all this stuff and wash it away in the ocean is what I was saying to myself at that point. Uh. So my sponsor said, okay, man, you've seen it now. You see your defects, you see what's going on and now it's time for you to go out and start repairing the damage done mm. and you got to go out and see all these other God's kids and you got to make it right and you mm. got to go make your amends. And you got to go sit with everybody. Start with your parents and your family and work your way outward and go see all these people. How was that like with your dad? I mean, because I know we've talked <laughs> about your dad has come up. Like, what was it like to bring that to him? So now when you go to sit down and make an amends with someone who is the epitome of what Bill Burr was talking about, where it is not comfortable having any kind of an emotional conversation with their kid or anybody on the planet. Mm. You're talking about a hardcore Marine, right? Oh, he's a Marine. So, uh, yeah, so, I mean, you're not going to sit down and have a kind of conversation with him, right? Right. Um, but I got to. I got to go sit down and talk to him. So I tell him, hey, you know, Pop, I'm... You know, I'm in a 12-step recovery program, Victory Over Alcoholism and Addiction. And one of the things we do, we have to make a list of people we've harmed. Your name clearly came up on the list. And I need <laughs> to sit down. like that? Yeah. And I need, to, um, I need to sit down and I need to discuss it with you. That's fine. You don't need to do that. I'm like, mm. actually, Pop, I do. Mm. It would have been easy for me to say, okay, I, I made the approach. And no, no, no. My sponsor's like, dude, you got to explain to your dad that you might not get over your drinking and using unless you do this. You got to sit down with them. So I'm like, Pop, they said I might not get over my drinking and using unless you sit down and talk to me. Wow. Fine. When do we have to do this? I'm like, whenever you're comfortable with. He's like, let's just do it now and get it over with. I'm like, okay. So I go sit down at the kitchen table. He crosses his arms. Now, if you know anything about body language, oh, yeah, that's the when worst. you sit down to talk with someone and they sit and cross their arms, they're telling you I'm closing I'm closed, myself yeah. off emotionally and I am going to not take in a single thing you're about to tell me. Yeah. That's fine. And I don't get to see, I already, there is time in my life where I'd be like, here he goes, here we go, this is my, no. See, that's That already changed He's you. spiritually sick just like me. He's mm. a 
conglomeration of all the sickness of his childhood, except he doesn't have the benefit of what I just did. Mm. He never, probably never will. Mm. I would pray for him to have that. He'll never have that experience. I have. Mm. And so all of a sudden, I'm not mad at my dad at all. Mm. Now I'm sitting down with him, and all I see is a sick man who's filled with anger and, and rage and blah, 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 like most human beings. Mm. Just He's no different than anybody else. You must feel bad for him. I feel bad space. for anybody that's like that. Yeah. I just, I now I'm not mad at them, and I'm not going to butt heads because I'm free of that. I know where it's coming from. It's got nothing to do with me. It's got mm. to do with him and mm. his filters and his fear, his shame, his guilt, his remorse, his all the stuff that life that his diamond is still in there too, bro. Mm. But after many years, it's become charcoaled over and he just can't get at it. Me, I've chipped mine down. You can see bits of my diamond starting to shine out again. Yeah, yeah. And so it shines light on that and I see truth. And so I'm not mad at him at all. And he sits and crosses his arms and I'm like, okay, I mean, let's pop will do the best he can. I'll try and get him through this as quickly as possible. So I read my card. I read all my harms, everything I, my responsibility. You don't bring up anything he did to me as a kid. It's just my stuff. And so, I, and sometimes you sit down and have these amends and people are like, well, to be honest with you, that's my fault too. And they start unburdening themselves. Amends can go crazy, mm. dude. You have these unbelievable experiences where people start crying, you're crying. Not with my dad. I read and he sat there, did not say a single word to me the whole time. He just kept like looking at the table. He heard me out. And I said, is there anything uh, um, that I, and when you're done reading your list, you have to say, are there any harms I'm not aware of? Sometimes, dude, people will be like, yeah, you didn't bring up this, this, and this. And you're like, oh my God, I forgot about those. My father said, nope. Mm. I said, all right, well, do you need to tell me how any of these things made you feel? Because you got to give people the opportunity to blast you if they need to. You mm. want people to feel like they're going to get, you know, going to get free of the things you did to them. And he said, no. Mm. I said, okay, well, what can I do to, uh, what can I do to, to, to set it right for you? And my father said, just keep doing what you're doing. Are we done? And I said, yeah, we're done. And he said, I love you, kid. And he walked out. <laughs> my father hadn't said I love you to me since I was 11. So that itself I'm was I'm sitting a major at the key, table, yeah. 26 years old, 15 years. Last time wow. I can remember hearing him say, I love you. And he said, I love you, kid. And he walked out. And wow. I was like, I was proud of him. I was like. That's pretty cool. Oh, my God. It wasn't Burning Bush. It was kind of a brutal amends. It was yeah, very yeah. like just, you know, he was very terse. and he was very, But in the end, he said, I love you, kid. And that was a big deal. Yeah, in comparison to the way your father was previously, that was a Burning Bush. Huge for him, you yeah. know, for him and for us in our relationship. Yeah. You know, and now today, here we are all these years later. I don't know if he says I love you to my brothers and sisters. I have no idea. I, I don't pay t too close attention, but I know now when I see him, I go up and I give him a hug. Yeah. He he used to get very uncomfortable with that stuff, but yeah. now he's getting a little older and I don't care. Yeah, yeah. I just go up. He's my dad, and I give him a hug and yeah. I tell him I love him. And now he tells me I, I love you, kid. Yeah. And yeah, you know, but he does it more naturally now. His grandkids brought that out in him. Mm. He tells all my he tells all my my kids I love you guys. I'm like, uh, what about me? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. When I was 11, you were under resentment list. Yeah. But but no, but he's gotten free in yeah. his own way yeah. to degrees in his life. But he's still close just off from your others. experience. Yeah. How amazing. Sure. What a cool experience yeah. that was. And it changed the nature of my relationship with my dad. Mm. You know, my brothers and sisters, my father is who he is, right? Mm. He grew up the way he grew up, and he's got his own stuff, like, as do we all. And so my dad's, you know, he can be angry, my father. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Mm -hmm. He can be very, uh, uh, uh. Yeah. And, uh, and, you know, my father, <laughs> it's, I catch myself doing stuff like this sometimes, too, because my father will be vacuuming in the house. Yeah. And my father will be like, you Fuck, <laughs> yeah, that you were yeah, talking about yeah, earlier, and yeah, I was yeah, laughing. Yeah. I'm like, oh my god, my dad yeah. used to do that all the time. 
fuck, something <laughs> And I'll walk over to him because I know he's not even, he's just right. in his own world. Yeah. And I'll be like, Dad, is everything okay? I'll be like, yeah, why? What's wrong? Yeah, right. you know, <laughs> he doesn't even know what I'm talking about. And I'm laughing. But my brothers and sisters, I yeah. know they still get very like, oh, I can't yeah. take this. This is ridiculous. Yeah. And I'm like, guys, relax. Yeah. What do you, what do you, because they still are connecting childhood stuff and they hear him do that and it gives them anxiety. Right. Me? Gone. Yeah, yeah. Totally gone. Not mad at my dad anymore. He did the best he could with us mm. when we were kids. And now I see what he actually did instead of what he didn't give me. I see what he did. Mm. I know what sacrifices he made for us as kids and appreciate them now in a way I didn't before. Mm. The private schools, the braces, the second job he worked at, not just a fireman, to send us to Catholic school and blah, blah, blah. He made a lot of sacrifices in his life for us. Mm. And as a kid, I'm like, well, I'm your kid. You're supposed to, you know what I mean? Right, but right. now I see my dad, I look at the good stuff and the bad stuff is not him doing it to me the bad stuff is just my dad with he, he does the best as well we all do this and we don't realize it we all do the best we have at any given time with the at the moment with the power we have in us a hundred percent and that 100%. sometimes that ain't good enough yeah for a lot of us i'm like i hear you but i don't like what it looks like yeah I hear you, but unfortunately, that's the best they can do at the time. Yeah. So understand that and don't let it affect you in that mm. way. I mean, it's not, and it's easy to say, don't let it affect you. I couldn't, you could tell me that before and I would process it differently. But now that I've had the experience I've had, it just doesn't affect yeah. me. Once in a while it does if I'm, you know, if depending on where I'm at in right. spiritual condition. But yeah. by and large, I don't have that negative effect or negative association with most anybody except for the people directly. The wife, the, the ex, yes. this, that. Yeah, there yeah. are certain More people difficult. who know how to push your buttons where it's harder to practice spiritual principle. Even though I know yeah. and I put pen to paper and I constantly, God help me to treat this person with patience and love. Yeah. And I'm just the way they are yeah. and the way they act. It's it's That's the that's the sh the life struggle. Yeah. That's the spiritual struggle. That's where I need God. And that, that prayer in itself is going to beget more struggle because if you're asking for more patience to deal with your wife, no your, doubt, like, you know, God may throw, he may throw more resentment. Dude, that's one yeah. of my big jokes. I'm always like, be careful asking God for the willingness for something. <laughs> right. God, please make me willing to, to, to become more, uh, uh, to exercise more. Yeah. You know, God may throw a stroke your way. You know, like that's how I think of it. I'm like, you need to be careful when you ask God yeah, for willingness because yeah, yeah. he might throw a bus yeah. at you. Yeah, right, right. It, I'm joking, clearly. Right. Obviously, I'm joking. I don't look at God as a vengeful thing. It's, sure, not, sure. it's not a matter. But the universe is funny like that. Yeah. The universe has real power, dude. And so when you become asked for willingness, you don't know what form that's going to take mm. or what that's going to look like, but it happens. Yeah. And it's real, especially if you open yourself up to it. Mm. Oh my God, it's amazing. Mm. And so now not to delve into the how I view God and because that's, Point, that doesn't matter. That's for you. Right? That's, that's mine. You, yeah. That's my thing. And other people's things are there. The point is that they start asking themselves the questions and take action to get to that place. And now, interestingly enough, as we've been having this conversation, did you notice that in the last however long we've been talking, there's one thing that we just stopped talking about completely? Mm. Alcohol and drugs. Right. We're not right. talking about it right, anymore. Exactly. You know why? It's not about alcohol no. and drugs. It never was. Yeah. That was just a short-term solution that stopped working and almost killed me. Mm. It, it, it At some point in AA, when you get up to that fourth and fifth step, when you get beyond that, it's no longer. I remember my sponsor the first time looked at me, and I was like eight months, and my sponsor looked at me, and he goes, do you realize that it's been months since you've mentioned cocaine or Jack Daniels to me? Mm. And I'm like, oh, my God. Yeah, that's right. wild. That is wild. It just didn't occur to me. And my sponsor's like, yeah, yeah, because you know why? It's not your problem. It never was. Mm. You, you haven't even talked to me about it anymore because mm. it's gone. 
Mm. The obsession to drink and use somewhere along the line just lifted. Mm. And that's amazing, incredible, powerful stuff. But that's, so what? Yeah. That's now rearview mirror. Now I'm talking life stuff. And this is my point about the 12 steps. Of fact. Imagine if everybody on the planet got rid of all this stuff. Mm. All the fear, shame, guilt, remorse, the anger, the rage, the bad things. And were able to have that shift in perception where they could hear other people, know they're doing the best they can with the power they have at this time, and not take everything personally, and be able to hear people and understand where they're coming from, be able to listen to them, be able to process that, and act and treat it in a different mm. way. And it doesn't mean, listen, dude, as God's children, we don't walk a crow before anyone. Mm. I stand by my convictions. I stand by what I believe in. I don't let anybody walk a crow on me. Absolutely not. I'm a mm. spiritual warrior, mm. right? I will always stand up for myself, family. You know, again, this is, I'm not somebody who somebody comes and I'm going to be like, oh, I'm going to turn the other cheek and okay, if they want to ransack my house, dude, I <laughs> right, will throw right, someone yeah, out yeah, my yeah. window yeah, yeah. to protect my kids. I'd burn down the whole planet. <laughs> yeah, right, but, right. You know, it's, but I do it now in a place where I'm not coming from fear, I'm coming from love. I'm yeah. coming from a, just a different understanding, a different approach to life. Yeah. I'm by no means perfect at it. My God, talk yeah. about being a sinner. Right. You know what I right, mean? Right, right. Like I am, people come and say, oh, I want you to sponsor me. I want you to sponsor me. I'm like, just so you know, I don't want you to have any illusions yeah. putting me up on some pedestal. The reason that you're attracted to what I'm saying is not because I'm the most well person in the room. It's probably because I'm one of the sickest people in the room. Mm. To this day, I still... Dude, I have to do I'm 24. I'm going to be 24 years in this oh, thing. That's amazing. Practicing this, right? Because I started doing step work right away. So yeah. I've been practicing this and working with sponsees for 20 plus years. And I've been doing it for real. And I still am not great at it. I'm good at it. And there are some weeks and months that I'm unbelievably good at it. But then there's other times where I'm blocked off and I, yeah. you know, I let. I love using the term let. I let fear and. But sometimes fear and resentment and, and selfishness and dishonesty, they'll become active again. And mm. now all of a sudden, that's why you need to do multiple fourth steps throughout your, mm. every once in a while, unless you're Mr. Perfect, don't tell me another fourth step's not going to build up. Mm. Resentments come and we don't always meet match calamity with surrender. And I'm sure you get new ones all the time. All the time. And you have to process those. But now I have something to do with them. I don't shove them deep right. anymore. <laughs> right. Now I see them for what they are. I put pen to paper. I write about it. I share it with my sponsor or one of my my groups, I pray for the person. I Rarely do I act out on it now where I have to go make amends because at the time, I usually process it differently. It's more inward than it does come out, out, mm. out outward. Well, but nowadays, if you, have an, if you have a resentment towards someone, do you approach them about it? Like, you know, I'm feeling this way. Um, could we talk about this? Or If, if it's appropriate, right? Yeah. So, you know, in a work environment, if I have a working relationship with someone and they're doing something consistently that I find to be inappropriate and uncomfortable and I'm like you know this guy's such an idiot or whatever yeah. and I find myself angry the first thing I gotta do the problem is not him it's me and my reaction to him yeah, that yeah. has to be that that's my truth because if my problem part. is him I'm doomed right. if my problem is the guy at work who's being an idiot I'm screwed because right. he's not gonna change right. so I have to first realize what is he kicking off in me what's mm. the fear what's the selfishness what's underneath all of this mm -hmm. once I can get that on paper and look at it I say okay fair enough God I see yeah. Um, this is kicking up when I was a kid and this and this and fear what other people think and fear not being good enough. It's affecting my pride and my self-esteem. I see it. I see it for what it is. Okay, right. fair enough. And I see how I'm reacting to him and that's not good either. That's my part. I got to change that. I've got to approach it differently. But 
I'll talk to my sponsor. My sponsor like, but having said that, in a professional world, you probably should go talk to them about that. But do it in a way where you approach it with tolerance and love instead of out of anger. Mm. And so with a colleague, I'll go up and say, can I talk to you for a second? And there's ways of doing that, right? Listen, I just want to throw it out there because sometimes I feel like there's... I don't know, like an unspoken, like bad blood or something between us. Mm. And it could just be me, dude. Yeah. But I have to say that when we interact, blah, blah, blah. If approached the right way, most people, even closed off people, will be like, well, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah, you know, yeah. now, if that person says to you, well, you're wrong and you're an idiot, and then they walk away, now I've got to ask myself other questions. Like now I have an internal work problem where I've, I'm controlling my side of it. Yeah. I've tried to approach the person and have a conversation about it, and that doesn't seem to be having an effect. I'm treating them the right way, and they're still shitting on me. Mm. I'm going to go talk to my boss. Right, right, you know, right. I'm, That's I'm when not going to be a dick, but now it's yeah. time for me to go talk to my boss, and I'm going to go seek out guidance from my boss, and I'm yeah. going to say, hey, man, listen, I, I don't want to cause a problem. I've already tried to deal with myself. It's not to seem to have an effect. What do you think I should do? Mm. And then bring the boss in and let the boss get involved in it, and then let him do what he's going to do. Would you have done that pre-12-step oh, work? Oh, God, pre-12-step work. Yeah. I would have bashed him in the head with a phone <laughs> and have. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? No. Oh, yeah. I've, yeah. I've thrown staplers at people and, and telephones wow. in brokerage offices when I was angry with them. Now, mm. oh, my God, I couldn't imagine doing anything like that. Now I would go have an honest talk with them, and if that didn't work, I would seek out other ways because now I'm – I don't solve things that way. I'm mm. not, you know what I mean? That's not a part of my life anymore. Now I'm going to do the next right thing in all situations as best I can. I'm going to seek out guidance. I'm going to seek out counsel. And then I'm going to take whatever next right action. Mm. And that's really what it's all about today for me. It's about right action. Mm. Do the next right thing and help God's kids. Mm. That's that's the goal. Yeah. My daily goal is can I have I helped God's kids. I do my inventories now, and that's the rest of the steps, and that's how we live. We go out and make our nine-step amends and get right with all God's kids, the mm. whole list, mm. not a portion of it, not all of it. Mm. And I, I get right with all God's kids, and I try and stay current and right with all God's kids, and then I leave, live life in 10, 11, and 12, and that is keeping an eye out for all the stuff I saw in my fourth step. I'm mindful now and I'm watchful mm. for resentment, selfishness, fear, and dishonesty. Because all of that has been illuminated to you now. Yeah, and now I can see it as it unfolds more often than not. Mm. And when I don't see it in my waking moments during the day, I have a nightly review so I can say, did I miss anything today? Was there any mm. resentment or fear or dishonesty that I didn't see? And then I'll write it and I'll say, oh, I didn't see that today. Mm. I was dishonest. And I'll go to people the next day and say, hey, I don't know why, but when I talked to you yesterday, I totally lied about that. Mm. And I don't even know why. And the people laugh, like especially AA people, but other people have looked at me like I'm nuts. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're yeah, like, yeah. I can't believe you just told me that. I'm like, yeah, well, I'm a sicko. What do you want me to do? You know, that's interesting. It just reminded me of, um, you know, way back I did some kind of like a weight loss challenge at, at, at the job. And uh the whole point was whoever lost the most most weight would win the pot of money. Yeah. It was like 150 bucks, you know. Everyone contributed $10. Well, John Trokey, uh, he had won. Uh, he was not in the day we did the weigh-in. And so he won, and then he got the money. And then the next day he came and told me, like, Sal, I need to talk to you. I'm like, sure. So we sat down in his office, and he's like, I got to tell you, I wasn't very truthful. Like, I know my scale was off. I, I, I'm going to concede and, and I'm, I lost gym one, you know, and so I really apologize that I wasn't being truthful. I was like, you did in my mind. I'm like, <laughs> what is this? Like, you yeah. could have gotten away with this, yeah. you know, but I guess that's part of the See, work. Trokey is a big book kid, I love which that, means man. he yeah. couldn't get away with it. Yeah. And he knows that. Yeah, yeah. See, that's the difference. Right. And whenever I meet people and of course, people use the term, oh, he's a big book guy. 
is he a real big book guy or is he kind of a big book guy? Right. Trokey is a big book guy. Yeah. And that means Trokey believes that his life depends on rigorous honesty and thinking of the helping of others, mm. period. Mm. And if he starts living wow. dishonest and benefiting off of the lie, he's going to drink and use again. Guaranteed. I run a rehab. Yeah. Everything I do as a business owner, as a boss, as a friend, as a colleague, as a whatever, is do the next right thing and help somebody mm. in an honest fashion. Not kind of honest. Mm. Not, well, it's not really that dishonest. I don't get to have that kind of filter. Mm. It's rigorous honesty. It's either rigorous right or it's honesty. wrong. And if I start doing the wrong thing and I start making decisions based on money instead of helping people, I'm fucking dead. Wow. And I know that's true. Mm. I have no doubt in my mind. My my sobriety and my first step experience and my life has shown me and proven beyond any doubt in my mind that for me to live that way is doomed to mm. failure. I mm. will go back to that previous life. And let's say it wasn't alcohol and drugs. Let's say it was a normal person who went through the steps. They'd go back to the, whatever it was that drove them to it in the first place. You start mm. living different mm. and, and and delving back into dishonesty and fear and resentment and, 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 and living that way again. Mm. You're doomed to repeat what happened before. And I believe that 100%. I know my very life depends on my constant thought of others and how I can help meet their needs and rigorous honesty. Just I believe even, that. Just even those two principles, rigorous honesty and service to others, the world would be an entirely different place. Imagine if we entirely all believed that our very life happiness was dependent on those things. Mm. And not just because it said it in a book or whatever, but because actions we took in an experience, experientially, we see and know at our core that that's the truth, mm. my truth. Mm. And once I get with that idea, everything else just kind of is white noise. Yeah. Like I know my truth and... Hey, listen, it's not been perfect, right? Um, sobriety's not, uh, people always say it's not, you know, strawberries and cream. Uh, sobriety's, you know, ups and downs. It is, yeah. but my roller coaster doesn't go to massive peaks and valleys anymore. Mm. It's kind of a little rocky in the middle, yeah. but it's not the massive yeah. peaks and valleys because the work I do on a consistent basis, the spiritual work that we do every day, you don't get and stay sober by osmosis and mm. you don't live an honest lifestyle by osmosis. Mm. Um, you know, people say to me all the time, uh, it's, it's my business people talk about Blue Crest and they say like oh you know I, I heard of you guys you guys have a really good reputation and I'm like oh thanks and they're like so how'd you get such a good reputation I love when people ask me that because I yeah. always go you want to know the secret of having a good reputation and they're like yeah what is it always do the next right thing mm. to everybody and they're like you know, you see them think for a second. <laughs> right, like, and I'm like, guys, it's not a mystery. Yeah, yeah. We have a good reputation because we always do the next right thing by the client and the family. That's yeah. our number one priority. Yeah. Money and all that other bullshit is third, fourth, and fifth on the list. This yeah, yeah. is the priority. And guess what happens when you do that? Yeah. All the other stuff comes. Yeah. It all happens anyway. You end up being successful regardless because this is a truth. This is a un For me, this is a universal truth. Mm. And it doesn't mean that bad things aren't going to happen because they do. Yeah. God doesn't throw buses at you. Buses mm. just come. Yeah. Right? I mean, for me, the way I look no, at God I, now, I that doesn't totally. mean it's true. There could be a vengeful God. Who do I have? Other people's version of God is their own. Yeah. But for me, there's not some vengeful God up there throwing cancer at me. Yeah. Life happens that way. Yeah. There's disease. There's accidents. There's stuff. I don't I gotta blame God for it. It happens. How do I react to it? That's mm. all I can control. I can't control the thing. A tornado touches down in your backyard and rips you out of the seat and you go flying and die. Mm. What a terrible, horrible thing to have. But I'm not going to say, God, how could you do that to Salmon and his family? Mm -hmm. Like, it wasn't God didn't throw it at you. Just a tornado came down and yeah. you were unfortunately in the wrong place at the wrong time. <laughs> I'm sorry. It sucks. <laughs> you know what I mean? But no, but you know, this is all I joke, but, but yeah. not really because... Yeah. 
you know, it's, I guess, after a while, you start asking yourself, what is this concept of God? And how do I view it? And what does that look like? It's something I can see, feel, direct, and use in my life. Mm. So what I, you know, initially we talked about what if regular people would do the 12 steps. And I told you, I've been asked to take regular people have asked me, can you take me through this? I love what you do. I mm. love the way you live. Can you take me through the 12-step recovery program? And back in the day, I used to get asked quite a bit by people who are not alcoholics and addicts. Mm. And I would say, first few times, I said, you know what? Let me think about it. I got to talk to my sponsor about it. And I would go to my sponsor and I would say, look, dude, these people, you know, I'm like, I think it's great. Yeah. I'm like, they're not even alcoholics addicts. They want to do it. I think it would be great. Mm. I could help them to have an experience and then that might change the world. Yeah, you know yeah, what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. And I'm like, I'm totally into it. Like, yeah. I totally want to do it. And my sponsor looked, my sponsor looked at me and said, you're very selfish. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? How is that selfish? Like, dude, first of all, I think you're going to change the world. Yeah. Richie has not good. Good luck with that. And he's like, but dude, seriously, there's only so many people that you can sponsor at any given time. Correct. And I'm mm -hmm. like, yeah. How can you deprive someone dying of alcoholism and addiction of mm. taking them through a process mm. and instead give the spot to someone who doesn't need to, who won't die or survive based on going through the 12 step recovery mm. program? Your time needs to be spent working with people dying of this illness. Yeah. And th I'm not saying they wouldn't benefit from it. And you can give yeah. them a copy of the big book and tell them they used to take themselves through wow. it and, and see if they'll go through it on their own. Yeah. But he said, look, and you're asking me, so I'm just giving you my experience tells me you should be working with people who are dying of addiction. And you know, that's so interesting because I'm sure that was an epiphany in itself for you. And for me, I had this realization I cannot work with every single patient in every part of the world and, and, and make everybody better. I can only do, so, I, my time is limited and I, have, yeah. I also have my own family to manage. You know, what good is it to do all this good work in the world if my family's suffering from lack of my time? Absolutely. You know, so actually that was why, partly why this was born was how can I do the most good for the most people in this way and bringing people like yourself to kind of uh, share these life lessons with people. And maybe in a way too, this is a way of you channeling that because I mean, for me, I've totally benefited. I sat in one of your step groups. I think it was the second step that we had talked about. And, uh, I remember wishing I had my notebook in with me, <laughs> and that prompted me to talk to Troki about um, not necessarily taking through the steps, but to teach me about AA, right. and to speak with Drew, our, our director, about um, actually sitting in step meetings once I've done that part of it. Sure. Because I've seen how the patients have changed and how, in a way, it's changed me. I mean, even practically speaking. So typically on my birthday, I never had an, a problem with alcohol that I know of, right? The words come to my um, attention. But every year on my birthday, I mean, I might drink four or five times a year. But every year on my birthday, that would be a thing. I'd drink on my birthday. I could not do that in good conscience working where I work. Not that I, I think it's bad, yeah. you know, but I just felt like I have a solidarity with, with the people that I work with and, and to do what I do. So what I did was instead of go out to drink on the day of my birthday, I signed up for a triathlon the following <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> nice, so nice. I, I knew if I even went out for like a late dinner, I'd be screwing myself the next day. Right. So uh, I remember I got up at 4.30 in the morning the next day. I'm like, this was the stupidest idea. <laughs> like, I wish I'd never did this. I jumped. My, my wife was like, I'm not going to drive you. Like, you're going to go by yourself. I'm not going to drag the kids there at 4 in the morning. So I went. I did this triathlon. I almost drowned in the water. Uh, you know. Um, anyway, at the end of it, I finished. And two of my friends surprised me and showed up at the finish line. And I was just like, man, like that one decision was based off the work that I've done. And I see the benefits in this way, you know? So in a way, like, you know, yet all these people asked uh, you to sponsor them without, you know, really being um, struggling with alcohol or addiction. 
but yet somehow it's affected me and maybe hopefully through uh through this podcast other people will be positively affected by this absolutely yeah and you know just as a final thought it's interesting because you we had talked earlier about that about um uh you know when is something right or wrong personally and for you in solidarity and you weren't going to go take the drink and if somebody could ask you like well but that's not bad it's no big deal you know what makes that not good Mm. once it occurs to you that it would be personally unacceptable once it became personally unacceptable for you Mm. if you were to then say look this is personally unacceptable to me but i'm gonna do it anyway right right that's where the problem yeah. comes in. Once we recognize something's personally unacceptable, we probably shouldn't do it. Right, right. Right? Then, Just you, then you can't personally. sleep. You're restless. Yeah. You, know, there's, you know, there's something inside you that's telling you it's wrong. And it's not that it's not like a legalism, but for me, that's just the case. And so sometimes I'll be with friends, like, you're not going to have a drink? Like, no, like, what's wrong with you? Why aren't you drinking? I'm like, because I don't want to. And you'll <laughs> see this with people. Like, it's like weird if you don't drink because it's so part of our culture. Sal, you know, one of the things I wanted to do, too, before we wrap up this thing, I want to. You know, it's really interesting because my mind's just, this is where it is, right? I mean, that's why I love these things. They just unfold. Yeah. We, we knew that, who knew what this thing was going <laughs> to look like? It just went where it went. Yeah. Um, you know what I love about my AA relationships? Mm. See, now, now that I've gone through the steps and I've been living this way for a long time, there's certain things that just, you know, you, you go through iterations of recovery, right? Because we grow. We grow mm. spiritually. We grow mentally. We grow emotionally. We grow in a lot of different ways. And some areas are a little stunted, and then we catch up and whatever. But, you know, we talked about ideals, and we come up with ideals. And, you know, it's interesting. I have an, uh, a relationship ideal, a sex mm. ideal. Mm. I have a, 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 an employer and an employee ideal. I have a friendship ideal. Mm. Now, friendship ideal is a big deal for me. Mm. Friendship ideal is a big deal. What am I willing to bring to a friendship? Mm. What kind of a friend am I going to be? What does that mean for me to be someone's friend? Mm. And what am I looking for in a friend? Mm. And I talk to people about this all the time, right? Like, you know, I'll have young sponsees and they'll be like, yeah, my friend, uh, you know, oh, my friend uh, Melanie, like, you know, one of the girls in the group, oh, my friend Melanie, and oh, she stood me up again, you know? I'm so pissed at her. And I'm like, oh, really? I'm like, "Um, how long have you known Melanie? You know? Oh, we've been friends for about five years now. I'm like, oh, okay. Because I hear you talk about that all the time. She stands you up all the time. She never does this. She always does that. And she's like, yeah, I know. She's totally, like, so unreliable. And I'm like... So what makes her your friend? Like, what does that look like? Like, is that what, you know, I have expectations. You can expect from me if I tell you my friend, so I'm careful with that designation now. See, I used to be something like, oh, he's a friend of mine. Oh, my friend Joe, my friend John, my friend Rick, my friend Nancy. Are they really all your friends? Because friends for me, because I have a friendship ideal, I have a cast of friends, 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 what I consider to be a friend, somebody who's like inner circle, a friend of Richard Hessian. Like Mm. that's, that's a good, and then there's a good friend. Like he's a good friend of mine. And then I've got friends, but Mm. the good friend is somebody who's even a little bit more like familiarly, like, you know, they know me in even a little bit deeper, but I have friends, right? Mm. I have people who are friends of mine. And then I have people who are acquaintances. Mm. I have people who are AA friends. Mm. Some of my AA friends are just friends. Some of them are AA friends. Mm. I know them. I like them a lot. They're mm. people I see. I spend some time with them, but usually it's around AA. Mm. And they're an AA friend, and that's good. It's important designation for me, and it's just for me because I have ideals. I have friendship ideals, and I only expect so much from an AA friend, although there's a code in AA, and we show up for each other in ways other people don't. And so... One of the benefits of, and the classification of friend just came out just because we were talking about, but one of the benefits of friendship for me today 
a lot of the pe- friendships that I've developed and friends that I have. You now my sponsor's a wonderful guy, um, but you would expect this from a sponsor. But I have friends of mine, you know, my friend Fabian, he and I were friends for many, many years and we like literally frickin' frackery together all the time. And Fabian knows me in a way that other friends that I grew up with that I love dearly, close friends of mine, my friends I grew up with in grammar school, St. Teresa's, we've known each other since the first grade, Michael, Chris, and Arthur, and me, mm. four of us. We're still friends to this day. We're now almost, we're going to be 50 next year, wow. and all of us still hang out together all the time, call each other, our kids get together, the whole thing. Like We've been good friends since first grade. That's amazing to have That's that. huge gift. And huge yet, gift. I have other friends of mine that share this AA experience. They know me in an intimate way the way these other people don't. Mm. Even though we're close friends and I share, but they're only open so much mm. because of their own life experience. They haven't had a 12 They can't share experience. the same suffering that Not you have. Well, they can't share the same truth with me. That's true. If I talk to somebody like Trokey, for example, yeah. Trokey's a, a friend. I love Trokey. Yeah. I do too. And if That's I'm going to have guy. a conversation with Trokey, I can tell Trokey anything. Mm. What's really going on? Mm. My fear. My fear, my fear of inadequacy, my this, my that, whatever's going on at the time, I tell him. I just bear it. I tell him the <laughs> yeah. truth, and he'll tell me the truth. Yeah. Not the bullshit that we yeah. tell people and yeah, skirting yeah. around the truth. Yeah. We just tell it the truth. Yeah. I know I can call him, and I can just un- I can tell him real. Yeah. And we talk in ways that are very real yeah, yeah. and raw and yeah. emotional and my inner self and what I've seen and my, my truth and... Like we can have those kinds of conversations because we're cut from the same cloth. We mm. practice the same way. We're kind of in tune in that way. Mm. And I've tried to have those kinds of conversations and that kind of stuff with other people that aren't this way. Mm. And it's a different, uh, what was the term you used before? Um, uh, well, I could say a lexicon. It's a different lexicon, right? Oh. We're, we're, we're looking yeah. at things from, from kind of, we're using different, uh, what was the term oh, that you used uh, when we first started the cell? <laughs> nomenclature. Yeah, yes. it's a different yeah, yeah. nomenclature, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. Like it's just that the pieces don't necessarily fit in together. Yeah. And that's okay too. I'd like to think that, you know, some of these people that I'm talking about, friends I grew up with, some of them, didn't become sick alcoholics and addicts. Mm. They didn't have to blow their lives up to have spiritual experience and do all this fancy 12-step stuff. And they're just good-hearted people by their nature. Right. My friend Chris is just a good-hearted, loving, amazing dad. And he didn't have to hit bottom and find God and go through all this stuff. He's just naturally a good person. He goes to church. He helps people. He's great at his job. He's a great boss. Mm. He's a great dad. His kids love him. He's Mm. just there for his friends and there for people just because that's kind of the way God made him, mm. which is awesome. It's yeah. nice when you have those people in your life. Right. And then you got people like me who yeah. would have done nothing to help anybody if, yeah. you know, when I was back in the day. Mm. But now I've had the experience that I have where now I can be like that. Yeah. And maybe in some ways even more so like that because of the road that I've taken so you can right the ship. You know, that's actually interesting. I think uh, what the last question I'd like to ask you is, if you can go back in time, would you have changed your whole history if you could not have this scourge of addiction in the beginning? You know, you, you'd miss out on the whole 12-step opportunity. I've considered this many times and had these conversations, mm. deep philosophical conversations mm. about this, and clearly no way. Mm. Mm. Wouldn't change a thing. Mm. Love to say that if I could go back, I wouldn't have hurt my mom in some ways that I've hurt my mother, mm. but I, I probably wouldn't have the close relationship I have with my mom today Mm. if it wasn't born out of me being her problem child. Mm. 
like my mother has a special place in her heart. You know, we have conversations in a special place in our heart for me because I was the one that almost didn't make it mm. because I was the black sheep. And so my mom's always had kind of a special little place in, in my heart for her. And keep in mind, my family didn't trust me at all. I was mm. the only untrustworthy member of the Hessian clan, mm. you know, where I'd walk into my house and my mom would hold her purse the whole time I was there mm. at some points in my life. Yeah. And now my family can trust me with anything because, you know, of who I am today, they know, right? Mm. So they know, my mother knows she can count on me no matter what for anything, anytime. Mm. But that was not always the case. Mm. And it's because of the experiences I've had and what I've gone through, I wouldn't have done this 12-step stuff. Mm. I wouldn't have done a searching and fearless moral inventory. I would not have gone and made amends mm. and gotten right with all God's kids on the planet mm. if it wasn't for the fact that I was dying of alcoholism and cocaine addiction. So no, I wouldn't change a mm. thing. Not a thing. That alone, if, if many people in the world could just accept their history and go through the program of AA or anything else, whatever would give them that sort of experience. I don't know what program would give that experience, but you know, God works in so many different ways. You sure. Know, for this, this was what worked for you. Um, but um, you know, I can see how this is, could be very beneficial to kind of the world at large. But can you imagine if people just accepted their history, worked through it, made the change they needed to make? Sure. You know, rather than there's other, there's definitely other programs out there yeah, yeah, that yeah. are not this. Yeah. Like Twelve Steps was designed for a particular thing, but there's other stuff out there. I'm sure. Yeah. I don't know what they are, so yeah. I can't speak to them because I've done this one and I'm right. good at it. Yeah. And I know it intimately, and I know how amazingly powerful and transformative yeah. it is. So I'll speak to that. I mean, from the rooftops, yeah. I'll shout. This would change if you're open, honest, and willing to go to any lengths, and you follow these directions you can't not have a rock star experience it's absolutely transformative life-changing stuff yeah. there could be other stuff out there that people yeah. could do that's similar in nature you know they didn't reinvent the wheel all yeah. this introspection and moral inventory and all that stuff it's all born out of other things that people have had life experience wise yeah. but this just happens to be a neat little path you can yeah. follow that i know at the end of the rainbow is a pot of gold. I don't, there could be other ones. I just don't have a map to those, so I couldn't. I couldn't share them you know, with you. Even though uh, the bulk of my work has been through mental health the, over the past fifteen years, over the past five and six years, I've been working more in recovery. I haven't seen anything else do what AA is doing. I'm not. I'm not seeing this kind of uh, massive spiritual change that people are happening, and and this this uh, this new context on life people have. I, I don't see it. So I'm like one of those who, who have seen the change myself and I'm like, wow, this is interesting. I want to get into this, which is again, why we were here in the first place because I, I saw something so different about this experience. So I really do appreciate you spending the time with me. I mean, I know you're a very busy guy and, and uh, you really, uh, you know, just for me personally, I, I got a lot of wisdom out of this and I'm going to be listening to this recording over and over just for myself. <laughs> so uh, Rich, Richie, thank you so much, man. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you, brother. Appreciate it. Up until this point in our lives, we've done the best we could with what we've known. Hopefully today we've come to learn something new so we can be better to give better. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Upstream. Be sure to follow us on Instagram at the dot upstream podcast and join us every other Tuesday for fresh content. Until then, just keep swimming, friends.